going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14. The Lord started speaking this to me earlier this week about this message. And uh, the title of this message is Sink or Float. And there's a lot going on in what God's doing in the earth and what He's doing in our church. And, and many of us are at a crossroads in our life. Many people I talk to are at a crossroads. This, they're on the precipice of big decisions and what to do, how to navigate these waters. And what I've found is, is that whenever we're at a crossroads, um, it never fails that we'll be in the middle of a storm while we're having to make a decision to trust Jesus. So it's not just the decision in and of itself, because that would be a left or a right. But it's the storm that is surrounding you while you're in the decision that makes it difficult to comprehend, to navigate, and to guide. That's why Jesus is always showing up with the disciples while they're on the water. Because the water's a place that you can't see what's going on underneath you. The water's a place to where you can't judge and make the waves do what you want them to do. You can't make the storm move the way you want it to move. In other words, when you're in the storm, especially on the water, you're not in control. And whenever we're not in control, that's frightening. But here's the real reality. Are you ready for this? You're never in control. See, the storm just revealed to you that you're actually not in control. That's all the storm did. See, when we're able to navigate certain uh, pathways, we feel like we're doing it. But I want to tell you right now, it's not you doing it. It is God who's mapping out the way. So sometimes God will allow a storm to come through to let you know you ain't in as contr much control as you thought you were. See, the storm is revealing. Whenever the storm comes, you really find out how much you trust God and how much is really on the inside of you that has to do with His love, peace, kindness, and gentleness. It's like, a, it's like a tube of toothpaste. When I squeeze a tube of toothpaste, I hope toothpaste comes out of there. Uh, amen. Amen. But when it gets squeezed, whatever's on the inside comes out. If I juice an orange, I'm not going to get pineapple juice. I'm going to get orange juice. Why? Because what is on the inside of that thing is going to come out of that thing. So if we are claiming that greater is he that is on the inside of us than he that is in the world, then let me see you get squeezed and we'll see what comes out. We'll see what comes out. So the storm is revealing. You think you're high and mighty and really walking with God? Let somebody cross your will. You'll have thoughts that'll blow your mind. It's like, I can't believe I thought about that. Can't believe I went there. 
See, God is revealing what's on the inside. See, many of us are involved in situations that we got no control over. Don't you ever wish you could hit the fast forward button? But many times when you're in a storm, it feels like pause has been hit. Einstein was asked to explain the theory of relativity. He said the easiest way he could explain it was, was that spending five minutes with your hand on a hot stove would fill the same amount of time as two hours talking with a beautiful woman. Five minutes in a painful situation feels like more time than doing something you love. That's why the statement is, time flies when you're having fun. So the idea is within the storm, because here's the deal, the storm isn't from God, and that's where we mess up. The storm isn't from God. God has allowed the storm in order to reveal something of your character so that you might deal with yourself. The storm is not from God, though. Jesus would have never rebuked a storm if it was from his Father, because him and his Father are one. Right? Is that okay? So the storm's not coming from God. The storm is allowed by God to reveal something that the storm, only the storm, can reveal. The storms of life are something we can't control. And they serve us by letting us know exactly that. We're not in control. Now, we live in a hyper-reality culture. I grew up watching the Cosby show. Anybody else? Any Cosby kids out there? Now, get this. Bill Cosby was a doctor. His wife was a lawyer. And somehow, they're always home with their family and kids. That's called hyper-reality culture. And any conflict or thing that they would go through could be worked out in a 30-minute sitcom. And by the end, they've worked out the conflict. If you grew up watching this day after day after day, then when you go through a conflict, you look around and you say, well, my dad's not a doctor. He works at an aluminum mill. My mom works for a dentist's office, and neither one of them are hardly ever home. And every conflict we face is sometimes not worked out in a 30-minute span. Sometimes it takes years to work out conflicts in our life. So when we are immersed in what's called a hyper-reality culture, we begin to put a standard upon us that is actually not reality. It is reality spun in such a way that's a false reality telling you this is how your life ought to be. And I'm telling you right now, God is the author and finisher of your faith and your life and it don't always come out the way you think it should come out, okay? And so this is the, the storm that's greatest benefit to us. I, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. See, because if you look at waves two different ways, a surfer looks at waves and says, yes! 
The average person looks at a wave and says, mm-mm, let's go back in the condo. That God would bring us to a place that we could embrace the waves in our life, allow them to reveal something in our heart, have it throw us against the rock of ages, and become better for it. But this is the storm. Because it's not the storm that shipwrecks you. It's the water you let get inside your boat. The storm has never sunk a boat. It's the water that's allowed to get on the inside. So as we're navigating stormy waters, you can't afford to let things get inside that are lies from the enemy. Just can't afford it. I found my own life experiences that it's easier to blame the devil than take responsibility for my own actions. Thank you for those good amens. Pentecostals hate to hear that, right? God, do it right now! Now! God said, maybe I want to take you through a process where character can be built. Got preachers mad at people for smoking cigarettes and they're one Big Mac away from a coronary. Well, this will be my last Sunday today, so I want to tell you I love you and glad we got to spend this year together. See, God's wanting to do a deeper work than just treating your symptoms. Come on now. He doesn't want to just remove the storm. He's trying to bring about your transformation. And God isn't concerned with how comfortable you are. I don't know if you know that. He's worried about you conforming to the image of Christ Jesus, his son. So if you feel like you're in a vice and you feel like you're getting stretched, you need to praise God with some part of you on the inside of you knowing that you're being shaped and molded into the King of kings and into the Lord of lords. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 said, this is the will of God. Are you ready? You want to know the will of God for your life? You ready? This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Oh, pastor, that's too simple. No, that's the will of God for your life. Look more like Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will work itself out. Jesus is always peering when his disciples are on the water. Remember at one time, you're fishing all day and hadn't caught anything. Jesus says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. God, we told all day, but nevertheless, at thy word. <laughs> and they drop the net, and there's fish. The net's breaking and ripping. Because even though they had faith to drop the net, they didn't have faith to shore up the net so that they could catch everything God had for them. See, the disciples couldn't see what was going on underneath them. And you don't know what's going on all around you and underneath you. You've got to trust God and get his wisdom in every decision for your life. And then there's other times where Jesus is in the boat with them. And a storm is raging and he's asleep. 
That's odd. Why would Jesus sleep through a storm? Because Jesus knew storms were just a part of life. And he didn't give them special attention, nor did he ignore them. That, that the storms that we face are merely just a part of your life. Part of your life. Now, in this instance where we see Jesus, he's walking on the water, and he's not in the boat with the disciples. They're experiencing this storm seemingly outside of Jesus. And many times it feels like God's shaking up our way, our life in a way such as that at times. Uh, and maybe we feel shaken up today a little bit. Maybe, maybe uh, things are shaking in our life and we're seeing this fall and that fall and this go and that go. And, and the Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shook. Yeah. Why? It's to see what's going to remain because what remains would be the thing that God would have in the earth. So we're getting this shaking maybe going on into our life, and we're being shook up in such a way. And maybe God is preparing us for the greatest victory or the greatest achievement that we've ever faced in our life. Because what truth comes to us, truth doesn't make us free. Our truth doesn't set us free. The Bible says truth will make you free. That when we're approached with truth, that when it enters into our soul and it begins to do its work, it doesn't just cut chains off of us. It makes us a freed man who can walk out living with no chains on our life. And many times these storms will bring up things from our past. Guys know this. Whenever you're going through something, your mind goes through every previous hurt that has ever happened to you. That's what the devil does. Happens to me all the time. Somebody does something to me, I go back through every moment and mark every moment when something like that had happened. But what that proves to show us is we haven't revisited the pains of our past which means we really haven't been healed from those things. Which means any new season that God tries to bring me into, I'm carrying the baggage from my past into every, each and every season. Then suddenly I'm stuck into something else called a cycle. I'm in a cycle. And each new opportunity comes with it, promise. But the pain from the past rears its ugly head, trying to sabotage me in the new season of my life. And then you hear people say something like that. I'm letting go of the past and I press on. Like, no, you didn't. No, no, no. No, you needed to visit that place and stay there for a while and let God heal your heart so that you could step to the next place free and ready to not spit toxin and venom out of your mouth, but to speak the grace of God of a broken man or woman of God that is full of Jesus Christ and His grace and His mercy. 
Think about Joseph, man. His own brothers sell him into slavery. Not only that, he rises to the top of that. Then a lady comes and throws herself on him. And he does the honorable thing. And then she goes and tests that he did this or that. Then he goes into prison. I think at that point I'd have said, God, I give up. Time I try to do right, look what happens. But he stayed in the prison. Said, God, I know the promise you spoke over me. And I'm going to let the prison seep into my soul and do the work that it needs to do. And when my character is right, I'll be able to handle all the good things you want to give me in my life. Because your talent can only take you to where your character can keep you. You want to be a Samson or you want to be a Joseph? That God would do deep dealings in our heart not to hurt us, but to reveal to us who we are. Yeah. Reveal to us who we really are. So that when Joseph comes out of the prison and is placed into the second most authority, he can now handle the pressure of administrating a nation because he was in the press in prison. This is what God, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Means oil press. There's only one way to get the anointing oil out of them olives. You're going to have to squeeze them and clamp them down. See, that reveals what is on the inside of the olive. I think many of us show, show up to church with a paintbrush. God said, man, I need you to show up with a pickaxe and a shovel and some rebar and some wire and some form boards. We're working on the foundation here. Because if we don't work on the foundation, what's going to happen when I put ministry success on top of it? It's going to crumble because it would be built on sand. God would be dealing with our hearts so that we can handle the next season that God wants to give us. So we won't be reduced to just church life where we perform religious exercises to convince everybody else that we're okay and we're saved. And we adopt the motto, fake it till we make it. Uh, instead of the motto, we're going to faith it till we make it. And we're going to keep believing and keep showing up until God does the work that he needs to do in our life. The storm is in God's hand. It's not in the devil's hand. It's in God's hand. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. The Bible says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
so, so here's Jesus dismissing the crowds, and he tells the disciple to get in a boat. So Jesus has some kind of foresight of what's going to happen here. He needs his disciples to get in a boat without him, and he needs to go uh, to his place and have separation from them for a time to reveal something. Verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Notice Jesus was alone with God. That Jesus was fully man, but he's also fully God. It's what theologians would call the hypostatic union. Something existing as 100% of two entities at the same time and at the same place. It is a huge contradiction of reality. But Jesus had to spend time with God if he was going to have the heart of God and walk this thing out as a man. Jesus was always spending time alone with God so that he could uh, revisit the moments when it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout all eternity. Uh, in other words, if he didn't stay hooked to where he had come from, he couldn't go into the new thing and represent the Father's heart the way he needed to, to the place God was taking him to. Uh, so some of us feel held back or tethered to something. But I want to tell you that is an anchor and you're being tethered to Jesus. And until you spend alone time with the Father and get his heart, you're not going to be able to represent present God's heart into the next season of your life that God is calling you to. See, this is the reason why the church is void of heroic exploits in America. Because we really don't know where we came from because we really don't know the Father's heart for our life. Uh, but if we begin to get a glimpse of the Father's heart and begin to have fellowship with Him, suddenly we are empowered to not be a false representative into the earth, but to be a Jesus representative into the earth. And then God will endue us with power to accomplish what he would have us to accomplish. See, Jesus was by himself. Have you ever noticed that prayer not, uh, naturally isolates you? Don't believe me? Call a prayer meeting and see how many people show up. Yeah, just let that sit in there for a while. Call a prayer meeting. See, prayer naturally isolates us. Jesus tells them to get into a boat and dismisses the crowd. But I believe if them in the boat would have said, Jesus, no, we want to go with you. I think he would have allowed them to go with him and get in on his God time. But Jesus understands that a storm is coming. And so his disciples are in the boat while the storm's coming. It would seem that he would say, hey, go into the cleft of this rock over here and make them stay in there. But instead, he releases them out into the most dangerous place that they could be while a storm was coming. In a boat made from the first century while a storm is coming. 
but Jesus was up on a mountain. And as Jesus is up on this mountain, if you've ever been up on a mountain, you can see a storm coming. In other words, Jesus had to get to the vantage point where he could see the storm was coming in order that he would connect with God and have the wisdom of God to walk out how he wanted him to walk out this storm. See, unless you have had some mountaintop experiences with God, with just you and him, you don't know the storm's coming, nor do you have the wisdom to walk it out when the storm comes. So Jesus had the vantage point to see the storm coming and then had the connection with God on how to walk the storm out. That is why the Bible is always reminding us to remember our position in Christ. You are seated with God in heavenly places. Why would God tell you you are seated with Christ in heavenly places while you're here on earth walking this reality out? Because he wants you to get the heavenly perspective that is in the seat of Christ that is your seat so that you can see what's coming. And not only can you see what's coming, you'll have the wisdom to walk out the thing that God's wanting you to walk out in this season of your life. So apart from us, a part of us is already with God. You are seated with him in heavenly places. So God's trying to let you know, I've got this. You're in the seat with me. I just need you to complete this out and walk this out in faith so that on the other side, you will be seated with me in heavenly places. See, if we only view ourselves separate from our position in Christ, we'll only operate in the reality of bringing earth to earth. But when we are in our heavenly seat praying and connecting with God, suddenly we have a heavenly perspective and we can bring heaven to earth the way that God has asked us to do it. Verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Do you get that? So the boat that Jesus told them to get in was a long way from the land. It's beaten by the waves, and the wind is against them. So Jesus is on the mountain, and the boat keeps drifting further and further away. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night, you know what time that is? 3 a.m., Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? Jesus, you made me get in this boat. The waves are beating me and the wind's blowing me further and further away from the place that I last left Jesus. And now I'm here in this place. <coughs> and then Jesus shows up at 3 a.m. That's after hours. Jesus, we work nine to five around here. You can't show up at 3 a.m. But Jesus shows up at 3 a.m. And the length of, that says far away, was the length of two football fields. So Jesus shows up at 3 a.m., two football fields away, before they even get a glimpse 
that God is with them. Men would say, God, you're late. But God's got this thing about being God. And he's always on time, right? Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, look how they interpret it. They were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Here they are at 3 a.m. seeing a figure walking on water two football fields away and they misinterpret it as something satanic. Their mind was already made up how Jesus was supposed to show up. And so if he showed up any other way, they couldn't even see. I'm sorry, but if I'd have been hanging with Jesus, I'd say, only one man can walk on water, and this has got to be Jesus over here. But because of the wind and the waves and the fear and the hurt and the pain, all they could see is it's got to be a ghost. Got to be a ghost. Got to be some demonic attack against me. So you can't assume that you know everything that God's doing in your life. He's teaching us to trust Him. And I'm going to tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is sneaky, man. He'll show up on you at times when you're like, Jesus, what are you doing here? Be driving down the road, trying to keep it together, and a worship song come on. You start crying, people, you're at a red light. I'm here, Jesus. <laughs> He'll show up in the middle of your living room when you're sitting there thinking there's no hope. And he shows up and begins to speak to you and tell you he loves you. You say, hey, Jesus, what are you doing here at this time right now? Why are you showing up now? See, Jesus is sneaky. Josh, come up here. I want you to share. I want you to share some of, some of your story with us. Feel led to do that. Thank you, Matt. Um, me and Matt were kind of talking the other day, and I was telling the story where used to, I can remember a time when one of the most hurtful uh, things, probably the lowest time in my life, it was a family member and, and this girl I was with, and it just Satan just took that thing and just stabbed me in the heart so deep because I always had this belief that I kind of wasn't good enough or I couldn't have a good life, and like, over and over and over, I had this dream about walking with God, and I sometimes even thought, God, maybe you picked the wrong guy. So I remember walking at night and walking down these train tracks and drinking vodka and just saying, maybe they're right. You know, maybe I'll never make it, never have a fame. maybe I'll never be enough. And I believed that. I mean, you know, we talk about that stuff sometimes, but I really believed it. And so it's a bad feeling when you can't pour enough drugs and enough alcohol on a belief that you really think about yourself and you can't really escape that reality because it always comes to back, this, back to this is what I really am. And I just got to live with it. 
I just, I just, I just got to accept this a reality about me. So I walked for down these tracks. My mom thought I was going to kill myself. I'd walk down these train tracks by her house. She thought sometimes, like I didn't want to talk. She just, she didn't know if I was going to make it. So years later, I go through prison. I go through God teaching me and changing my perspective about people hurting me that it, they were hurting too. And people just hurt people because they're hurting. So all my perspective changed. And I began to believe that those things weren't true. So after this journey, God leads me after my last little stint in prison, uh, had two months of this prison rehab, and God brought, and he bleeds me to Hot Springs. And I didn't know I was coming here. I didn't know I was going to meet any of you guys. I did, it was just a faith thing. God just, okay, God, wherever you lead me, I'm going. So one day I'm walking around in Hot Springs downtown, and uh, I didn't uh, have a car at that time, and I was just kind of walking around. And the wind was blowing so hard, like in my face, that I could almost fall into it. But there was, all of a sudden, I put this song in my, in my earbuds. I had my earbuds and my radio on. It says, Lord, I love, your, I love your presence, Lord. And as the wind, the natural wind was blowing against me, there was a spiritual wind behind me pushing me forward. And I could fall into the natural wind and let it hold me up because the wind of the Spirit was pushing me on. So the wind trying to blow over me wasn't so bad. Because the Spirit of God was letting me kind of rest even in the middle of the wind. That His hand was harder than the wind. So I began to walk, and I walked down, and I hit these... I didn't know where I was going. I'm not from Hot Springs. I don't know anything here. But God was just leading me. So I walk, and I end up in these train tracks behind Walmart. And I start walking. And I begin to walk down these tracks and say, God, I just poured out my heart. And I began to say, God, and he took me. I said, God, I don't know where we're going. I don't know where we're heading. And I couldn't see around the corner where the tracks were going. And I was like, God, I don't know. I don't know where we're going, where we're headed. I don't know what you want to do now. And I, as I walked, I began to just remember hurtful, disappointing things. that, Like he just walked me through all this time and I'm walking. And God began to say, you are always enough. It wasn't true. And so I began to walk, and finally, I, I just poured out my heart, and finally God says, he stops me on these tracks, and he says this phrase. He said, you're right on track. <laughs> he always knows exactly what to say. So I went on down, and I, I got a little further, and I sat on this little bridge, and there was a creek flowing under there. And you know, uh, Sometimes in the Bible, when people are disappointed or disheartened, God will meet them there. Like Hagar, she says he, he met her by the brook, and she said, this is the place where, where God sees. He is the God who sees. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on this little bridge, and I'm, you know, nobody's around, and I'm by myself, and I looked down this little stream of water, and I connected with God about everything in my heart, every hope, dream, every disappointment, every wrong belief I had in myself. And I connected with him, and I reached out with him, and he, he just, words did not describe how he connected with the inner workings of my heart that day. And I began to believe that I was enough, and know I was enough, and that God was enough. And I didn't have to know where we're going. I didn't have to know what he was going to do. I just knew him in that moment, that he was going to work it out. And that was enough. So I went on down, and I got down, and I thought about those scriptures that say, when, you know, they met with God, and he called them certain things. And I began to wash my face in this water, 
in this brook and, and wash the tears away. And I said, and I thought, God, you're not just the God who sees, but you're the God who you're the God who cares. And you're the God that takes great care in taking care of me in my heart. It changed such a, it just changed me in that moment to think that God years ago, years later, after prison, after all this thing that he's led me in and, and, and brought me through, that he would take me back to that place where I walked on those tracks and poured vodka on it. He said, I want to redeem that time. I want to give you that back in the same place in a new that you're on a new track and you don't have to pour things of this world on it, that you're going the right way. I want to give you that day and that disappointing time back and redeem even that to let you know that I, I'm the God that always seen and always cared and I still got plans for you and a vision for you and it's good. And man, all I can say is he's amazing. Amen. Yes, God. Verse 27, Jesus says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. See, by sight, it looked like something devilish. But when they heard, they said, only Jesus talks like this. Who else would show up in a storm and say, do not be afraid, take heart, it's me. Anybody else would have said, whoa, freak out, throw this out and throw that out and grab this and grab a life preserver. Jesus is in a storm and says, take heart, it's me. That's why the Bible says, my sheep know my voice because nobody talks like Jesus talks. Nobody would say that in a storm. Nobody. Verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. That's odd. Verse 29. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. Notice this. Peter asked Jesus to do this. Jesus didn't ask Peter to do this. This is Peter's command to Jesus. If this is you, then this, right? It's kind of like when you were coming up and there was this girl you really liked that wasn't Christian and you'd pray to God about it. And say, God, if this is you, if you don't want me to be with her, Make Niagara Falls dry up and go backwards. <laughs> yes, I knew it. Yes, awesome. I knew it. I knew God was in this. See, <laughs> oh, none of y'all were saved and trying to date somebody. Come on now. Notice, Peter has this impulsive boldness. Tells Jesus to command him to do, but it's what Peter wants to do. Like this was going to be his song and dance that he was going to be able to take to each town. Yeah, I walked on water. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus if this is really you, then this. 
Jesus, if this is really you, then this. We set up parameters where we say, God, we'll go this far and no more unless you do this. See, Peter wants to share in the power of God, but not in the heart of God. Jesus, I want to do what you are doing, but not because my heart is yoked to you, but because I need this to make me feel better about myself and the situation I'm in in this boat with these other guys here. It's us trying to use the Lord's power to do what we really want Him to do instead of letting Jesus be Lord of our life. And this is Jesus. He, he, Jesus never went, went around telling people to follow Him on false pretenses. He didn't emotionally charge up people and say, okay, now that you're excited, follow me. He said, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow me. Leonard Ravenhill said, if you ever saw a man carrying a cross, you knew there was only one place he was going. It was a place of his own death. Jesus never went around and went to people and said, ask me into your heart. Please, 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 just ask me into your heart. Never did that. God was saying that this is where I'm going and will you go with me? With no answers, with no perfect plan, just would you step into the mystery with me? Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, and the word for wind here is animos, which is the plural form of wind. So it would be the same word that was used uh, in the four corners of the earth when the Bible says that God sends his angels out to the four corners and his winds of the four corners to gather the elect in for judgment. That these are winds that are more powerful than just a breeze blowing. That this has a metaphoric uh, in interpretation that, uh, that Peter here is, is getting hit with these winds and it says when he saw the wind he was afraid and began to sink and he cried out Lord save me I don't know about you but if I'm walking on water I'm probably not going to be looking at the wind I'm probably going to be like can you believe it I'm walking on water But it's funny how when we're walking with God and living in the life with God, that it'll always be a voice coming from another direction trying to get us off track. See, the same word for wind here in the language is used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. That says that, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So this wasn't just a wind that Peter began to look at. This was the revelation that this storm brought up of all his false ideas of who God was and what God was was brought to the surface. And whenever that stuff started coming, he said, I'm not supposed to be walking on water. What am I even doing? Does God even love me? Does, does life even make sense? Does, and all this wind of doctrine began to blow on him and he took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink and he didn't think that Jesus had the grace enough to reach down because he has to call out and say Lord save me 
And Jesus reaches down and picks Peter up. And I want to tell to you and submit something to you. God didn't call us to walk on water. God called us to walk like Jesus in everyday life. And sometimes we're so caught up in walking on water that we miss all the opportunities around us of the miraculous. See, Jesus, Peter walked on water, but when Jesus got arrested, it says he followed him at a distance. That maybe it's walking with God every day in the day in and day out parts of our life. And you know what I found surprising? That maybe this sinking had to happen. Because you know when you become a believer in Jesus... We don't say, let's publicly honor this believer. Walk on water. Fill up the baptismal so they walk across so we see that they're in the faith. What do we do? Baptize them. Immerse them. That maybe Peter had to go down so that he could come up a new man in Christ. Come on. Maybe you had to go down so that you could come up a new man in Christ. Verse 32, and when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. That this storm has a purpose and maybe it was for you to go down so that Jesus could pull you back up. And did you notice what Jesus said to him when he went down? He didn't say, oh, Peter, walking on water is tough business. Doesn't happen to the best of us going down every once in a while. He said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt that I wouldn't sustain you in the storm? Which revealed he really didn't know the heart of God. When we're not willing to walk in the storm, it just reveals we really didn't trust God to sustain us. And that he's probably looking at us and not saying, oh, well, we'll do it again. Maybe he's looking at us and saying, oh, ye of little faith. Did you not know how good I was to rescue you? Did you not know how good I was to keep you sustained in the middle of this storm? Father, we just thank you, God.